0: The Geotechnical Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome to another episode of the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast, a podcast focused on helping geotechnical engineers stay up-to-date with technical trends in the field. I'm your host, Jared Green, and I've practiced as a geotechnical engineer for over 17 and a half years, and in addition to practicing engineering, I enjoy mentoring young engineers and first-generation college students. I've focused on helping to increase the number of pre-college students that are interested in STEAM majors and fields. By STEAM, I mean science, technology, engineering, art, and mathematics. In this episode of the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast, I'll be talking with Dr. Teresa Laugs, who is the Technical Director for Aero Aggregates of North America. She'll be talking to us about her career journey, about her PhD, about geotextiles, and also about the importance of giving back and how giving back increases the awareness of what geotechnical engineers do. Teresa's primary responsibilities include overseeing Arrow's research and development activities, technical documentation, engineering support, quality control program, and education and outreach efforts. Teresa brings to Arrow over 10 years of combined industry and academic experience. In the past, she's been involved in and managed a variety of civil, geotechnical, and geo consulting and construction projects in the mid-Atlantic United States. Additionally, Teresa has taught geotechnical and other civil engineering courses at Rowan, Drexel, Temple, and Bucknell Universities, and is the current vice chair of the Geo Institute's Delaware Valley chapter. And with that, let's get right into our conversation with Dr. Teresa Lauks. All right, Teresa, welcome to the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast. We are honored to have you. How are you feeling?
1: I'm feeling good, Jared. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Well, I'm glad that you could be here. And I just want to start right off the PhD. Tell us a little bit more about the field of study that you focused on for your PhD. And also let us know, why did you pursue it?
1: So my PhD was focused on uh, geosynthetics. And I did a lot of other uh, geotechnical engineering coursework as well. But the specific area of study was mostly an experimental program, a little bit of mathematical modeling, but the title of my dissertation was the uh, Multiaxial Tension Testing of Geotextiles. I went to graduate school at Drexel, which is also where I attended uh, for undergrad. And Drexel just has a great reputation in this field. In the geosynthetics field. And it's primarily due to uh, one of the former professors there, the late Bob Kerner, um, who's also known as the father of geosynthetics. And so it was really easy to get excited about the field of geosynthetics and geotechnical engineering being at Drexel as an undergraduate student. The process of applying for graduate schools, you know, I looked at other schools as well, schools that also, um, you know, had faculty members that Focused more on some geosynthetics projects and research. But I actually ended up staying at Drexel also in part because of uh, my advisor. And my advisor was Joe Wartman, who has since moved from Drexel out west to the University of Washington. But he was just a totally inspiring guy, a great researcher. So I really wanted to stay at Drexel and work with him on my PhD. Why did I get a PhD in the first place? There, there's a couple of reasons. The first one that I would say is probably because I wanted to keep my options open to be able to teach in the future. And That's something that like my family actually has a background in. Both of my parents finished their careers working at a, a secondary school. And so I've just always been drawn to that profession, being able to teach. I also always like a challenge and anybody that has ever thought about getting their PhD or has actually gone through a PhD program knows that it's, It's incredibly, incredibly challenging. I like the idea that we are investigating a not well understood topic or problem and then trying to contribute to the state of knowledge um, that's out there. And so that whole process of defining a problem, developing the methods or approaches that you need in order to try to answer these questions, that it's just a very intense Challenging, independent, but also very fulfilling process. So, those are kind of the reasons why I wanted to get a PhD. And then, for the timing of everything, I went right into my PhD work after getting my undergraduate degree. The reason for that was primarily personal. <laughs> it wasn't going to be easy if I started, you know, working in the real world and making real money and then have to go back to school and, you know, make a graduate school salary, it would just be a lot, a lot more difficult. So leading, you know, right into my PhD studies after living like a student for five years and just continuing to live like a student was super easy.
0: So it's like you start as a student, you just continue as a student. Exactly. All right, great. Well, I want to hear more about your career journey from PhD, but I think before we do that, if you could just walk us through geosynthetics a little bit, just because we have a lot of early listeners and some people are just, they haven't even taken a soil mechanics class. Walk us through just, I mean, a high level, what are geosynthetics used for? A little bit more about the testing that you were doing.
1: Geosynthetics, it's kind of a sub area of study under geotechnical engineering. And in general, geosynthetics are defined as these uh, synthetic, mostly plastic materials that we use in combination with soil to improve one of the properties of the soil that we're using it with. So, you know, in some cases it could be for the geosynthetic to act as reinforcement. So to increase the strength of the soil that we're using it in combination with. And that was really what my PhD work focused on. There are many types of geosynthetics. There are geomembranes that act as a barrier, also geosynthetic clay liners. There are geotextiles, which have many different functions. They can be used as as filters, separators, drainage materials, and reinforcing materials. Even uh, geofoams kind of fall under the realm of geosynthetics. So, you know, using these big blocks of expanded polystyrene as a lightweight fill material It's kind of all in this this area of geosynthetics. So it's also something that's relatively new to geotechnical engineering. I mean, it probably started in the the late 60s to 70s, um, and then really in the 80s started getting a lot of research interest. And the original area of study was about pond liners and landfill uh, lining systems. So it got a lot of momentum um, and research on those applications and then it just kind of expanded. My specific PhD work was on multiaxial tension testing. So, you know, these geosynthetic materials, a lot of them tend to be rolled goods or, or planar materials. And we tend to, to analyze them in you know, a uniaxial test and apply those uniaxial properties in our models. And that's not always the case, right? Oftentimes we have loading that is multiaxial or biaxial. And so it's important for us to understand kind of how those properties can be correlated, maybe back to uniaxial properties for the actual um, conditions that we have in the field.
0: We have the PhD and then take us to your career path a little bit.
1: If I start at the very, very beginning, how I actually became interested in engineering, kind of started with just an interest in math and science in high school. But like growing up, I knew no engineers at all, like zero. I might have had a a friend whose dad was an engineer, but I didn't know them well. And so I think it was either junior or senior year. In high school, I actually attended this engineering explorers program, which was an outreach program, I think through the Boy Scouts of America. And it was hosted at like a local engineering firm uh, close to where I grew up. So that was really my first exposure of, you know, what is engineering? What are the different types of engineers out there? You know, and so I really appreciate that opportunity because it really kind of tuned me in to the fact that, hey, this is something that I'm interested in and something that I would probably be good at. Then in terms of my other career choices, I went to Drexel and Drexel has a wonderful cooperative education program. I did three co-ops while I was an undergraduate student and I worked for three very different companies. One was Gannett Fleming. I worked in their kind of highway division, doing a lot of transportation work and highway design. I worked for uh, an accounting firm, actually, Deloitte & Touche in their construction advisory services group. So I got to see a lot of projects um, kind of as they progressed towards the litigation stage of things. And then my last co-op was with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers in uh, Philadelphia. And that was my first real geotechnical job. I worked for the, the geotechnical section at the Philadelphia District, and I was just enamored with the work that, that they did and with geotechnical engineering in general. I also had the benefit of working with who would be my graduate school advisor on some undergraduate research uh, related to geotech. So we did some small-scale uh, bearing capacity modeling with different shapes and sizes of uh, footings. That really got me excited and started, this is what I want to do. I told you already a little bit about graduate school, which was awesome. I got to to do a lot of cool things in grad school other than just focusing on my thesis. I did outreach there, It was part of this program called the the GK12 program, where I actually spent a year teaching in a middle school in Philadelphia trying to bring STEM concepts into the classroom. I also got to spend a whole summer researching in Australia, which was very, very cool. Quite an opportunity. After grad school, and I should say even I was um what we call ABD, all but dissertation. I started working at Bucknell University as a visiting assistant professor. So I spent two years up in Lewisburg teaching, mostly a combination of geotechnical engineering and kind of mechanics and materials classes. And it was great. It was a great experience being up there. The first year was a little stressful trying to finish up writing my thesis and also, you know, a first year teaching full time, but it was great. And it was really interesting to see the difference between my experience at Drexel and my undergraduate years. You know, Drexel's a school that's very practice-oriented, industry-oriented, and research-oriented. And then, you know, working up at Bucknell, which is a much smaller school, one that has a foundation more in the liberal arts, they were both great experiences. I, I can't say that enough. Very different, but great. After the two years I spent teaching, I was looking to come back to the Philadelphia area because I was getting married. And my soon-to-be husband was based out of, you know, the greater Philadelphia area. So I interviewed at a couple places, but I ended up going to work for a specialty geo-environmental uh, contracting firm. And the firm was called Seco Contracting. Um, we later changed names to Energeo Services, but we did a lot of um, geosynthetic installation projects. I joined the company at a. Really interesting time in their history. They were really starting to grow, starting to do a lot more uh, design build contracting, also acting as the general contractor on some larger projects because we were able to bond them. And it was really neat. People always say, like, if you want to learn about engineering very fast, go work for a contractor. And I can absolutely speak to that. I think that's totally true. You really learn how things are built. When we're designing something as an engineer kind of in our office, it's, you know, on paper, it may look great. But when you're in the field and actually constructing it, it could be totally different. And so it was very interesting seeing, you know, what folks have put on paper and then seeing how rather how we actually have to build it. Working at Energia was a really kind of a great combination for me because we did do this kind of specialty geosynthetic work, which really drew on my work in graduate school as well. My next job after working at the contracting company was with a consulting firm called Golder Associates. And at Golder, we did a lot of geo-environmental consulting. So it was more on the traditional side of engineering consulting. The office that I worked with or worked for, um, they actually did a lot of landfill work and a lot of environmental remediation projects. None of these projects were super glamorous. Right. We didn't necessarily see a shiny building or a shiny bridge at the end of any of them, but it was really very fulfilling work. We could be designing a new landfill cell. We could be specifying the cutoff trench design um, at a contaminated site. And they were all projects that I felt like I was making a difference, trying to make our world better. I'm not unique. I think a lot of civil and geotechnical engineers, you know, have those same feelings day in and day out uh, about the work that we do. It was great experience um, working for Golder. My next job was actually the job that I'm currently at. I work for Aero Aggregates of North America, and I'm our technical director. So as our technical director, I do many different things, but I'm involved certainly on our uh, quality control program that we have in place here to control the, obviously the quality of the product that we manufacture. I do a lot of education. So that includes, you know, talking to engineers like yourself, but also contractors, various agencies, owners, educating them all about the product that we make, which is foamed glass aggregate, a little detail. (laughs) That's also a part of what I do. I'm also involved on, you know, kind of on R&D efforts here. So that starts at kind of, you know, new products, um, you know, what we can do on that side of things, but also just applications and testing. It's really varied. Again, it's also a a very fulfilling job. Here at Arrow, our product is made from 100% recycled glass. So we're able to bring in kind of the sustainability aspects of, you know, how I I hope everybody is approaching our world these days, right? How we can keep it nice and and make it better for generations to come. That's kind of my full-time jobs and my career path, but I also do some adjunct teaching as well, and uh, that's been a great way for me to, you know, kind of keep that idea of why I first went to graduate school in the first place was to be able to teach And so right now I've been teaching at Rowan University over in New Jersey for about three years, but I've taught at some other local schools here around Philly as well. I just love it. I love the challenge of trying to, you know, explain these concepts to students. And I try to bring as much of my work experience that I have into the classroom. So hopefully they get that.
0: There's a lot to unpack there. It sounds like you got exposed to engineering through a program and that showed you what engineers do. You went to a school that was big into the co-op programs. So in addition to taking classes, you're going to companies, three different types of experiences, seeing what engineers do in different realms, and you need to decide to stay on for your PhD. And it sounds like you're still teaching and you're still doing research somewhat at your company, which is pretty cool.
1: I feel very lucky.
0: Civil engineers get PhDs, but not everybody gets a PhD. It's a big undertaking to have that. And is it safe to say that you took your PhD and you started to work for a startup company or a smallish company?
1: Absolutely. I would consider Arrow to be a startup company.
0: Help us to understand how that happens, right? Because one would say that that might have been a risky thing. I mean, it worked out great for you, of course, but some people might have said it was a risky thing. But uh, how did you get to that decision?
1: I think it is, but with risk comes reward, right? Isn't that what they say? (laughs) One of the founders of AeroAggregates is a gentleman that I went to graduate school with. Actually, he was kind of a later in life grad student, but we were both getting our PhDs at the same time at Drexel. When I worked for the contracting company, he was the president of the contracting company. So I actually have uh, known my current boss for over 15 years now.
0: I didn't realize that. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, it's pretty wild. but. When he approached me and, and asked if I was willing to come on as kind of technical manager at Arrow, you know, it's something that you struggled with. I Working for a consulting firm, I had a little bit of the comfort, right? It was a 1,500-person consulting firm that was well-established. We had a lot of good work and good projects and all of that. The possibility of being part of this company that, you know, I really think that we are making history where... I'm really the first foam glass aggregate manufacturer here in the US doing what we're doing. So marketing our you know, lightweight and insulating aggregate for infrastructure and commercial residential construction use. That's something that I couldn't pass up that opportunity to come on board. And it also helps having that previous personal experience with my boss that. I knew that we worked well together, and on that side of things, at least it would be a good choice. In terms of working for a small startup, there are some big differences. If I think about the previous job that I had, the first one is even now, we're very small. When I started in 2017, there were, I think, four of us that had offices here, and we had maybe another dozen folks that worked kind of on the plant floor but with that small of a group you get to know each other very well but you also learn a whole lot because you have to be exposed to kind of you know many aspects of of the company or of the business so i did learn a lot more about business just kind of general approaches definitely more about that than i had ever been exposed to in any of my previous jobs you just kind of have to do things that maybe wouldn't be in my normal job description, right? You kind of have to just share some of the responsibilities of growing this company. Some of the things that um, I really never did before was a lot more on the marketing side of things, but that was kind of interesting. It allowed me to be a little bit more creative than I, I got to be in some previous jobs. I also can say that another really big benefit about working for a small startup company is that I have a lot of uh, autonomy and a lot of flexibility. So, you know, I get to make a lot of decisions about what we do and take responsibility for it. I also, working here, it's a very, very collaborative and flexible environment. So I can always go, you know, to any um, number of people that work here now, ask questions, get their opinions, go back and forth with ideas. From a flexibility side of things, it really can't be beat. I'm a mom to three kids. And so, you know, not having to necessarily work the eight to five, you know, normal consulting hours, be able to flex those a little bit has just contributed so much to a better work life balance for me that I can't stress that enough.
0: That's so cool. And especially in these times we're living in now, it's like, you know, if you don't have flexibility and you can't pivot, it makes it even more difficult.
1: Absolutely, it does. I don't know. Hopefully this has really opened up some eyes at companies that were a lot more strict on kind of that flexible work hours. But I think I don't know, speaking from my personal experience, it really does make a huge difference. Um, just in like overall stress level too.
0: You're absolutely right. I mean, the reality is that it's unfortunate it took a worldwide pandemic to bring us to this point, but you look at it and it's like, wow, we could be a little more flexible, right? And still accomplish things and you know, people can have a better quality of life. It's really important. So I think it's safe to say that things panned out nicely for you.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so. I'm very grateful and very happy to be where I'm at.
0: Well, that's wonderful. And I know that you're also very active within professional associations. Can you talk a little bit more about that involvement? And then perhaps maybe some key takeaways from those experiences? Because again, we have listeners that or at the point in their career where they're thinking about becoming involved with things outside of the regular responsibilities at work. And sometimes it's kind of daunting to think about going to a committee meeting or a conference or something. But if you could share some of your experiences, that'd be helpful.
1: My first kind of exposure to professional societies was in college. I was part of our ASCE student group at Drexel. And, you know, we organized the speakers to come in to talk to us. We did a lot of the co-curricular activities like Concrete Canoe and Steel Bridge. We did do, you know, a little bit of coordination with the greater ASCE Philadelphia section and the Younger Members Forum for Philly. So that was kind of my first exposure. And I really enjoyed everything that I did with ASCE. It was a lot of fun. You learn a lot. You know, I can't say enough about, I kind of see no downside other than maybe it takes a little bit of your time, right? You have to make the time commitment to show up. But other than that, I think that most people generally nice and friendly and and willing to talk to a new face in any situation. Professional organization that I work the most with right now is the Delaware Valley Geo Institute. So the Geo Institute, most of our listeners probably know that it's one of the institutes of ASCE. And DVGI is the local chapter for the Philadelphia area for the GEO Institute. And it's one of the oldest. I think that the chapter was founded in like 2000 or so. So going on 20 years, I believe I first attended a DVGI meeting when I was also in college. So that was, you know, I went and I think I heard, I can't even say for sure. It might've been Bob Kerner speaking actually at that meeting, but great topics, right? You get a lot of good information. It's fun to socialize in that atmosphere. Everybody is generally nice. That's been my experience at any of these professional organization events. Generally nice and and willing to say hi and talk to you about what you do and what they do and have the conversation. So I think that's generally been my experience. And at DVGI, we do a lot of kind of varied things. We have monthly meetings from September through May where we host a a technical talk, so bring speakers in from kind of all over the country um, to talk about something geotechnical engineering related. But as part of those meetings, you know, we always have a social hour, there's always a nice dinner, and it's a great opportunity to network. So to meet people that even though you may not see like an immediate reason for, you know, why it's so great to be able to put a face with a name, I guarantee you that later on in your career, it will probably pay off, right? Either, you know, you might be looking for a new job someday. You might, you know, have a question that you need answered and you could call up one of these people that are in your network. I mean, there's so many reasons to network. I can't even list all of them, but it's a great opportunity. DVGI is a great opportunity to do that for me and for all of our members. We also do things like student outreach. So I've been part of a group that has participated in something called GET, which is the Girls Exploring Tomorrow's Technology Expo. And we've done it for, I think, five years now. It's been a really great experience. It focuses on girls in grades five through 10 and just trying to expose them you know, to different careers that they could have in STEM fields. And so as DVGI, I mean, we've done a couple really interesting demos this year because it was virtual. We're actually going to have a a YouTube video that will be available all about mechanically stabilized earth walls. So look for that. I think it's coming out in January. We do some other outreach. We organize the GeoWall competition, the local GeoWall competition every year for uh, colleges to participate in but it's just, it's a really great organization. I've gotten a lot from it the past years and really throughout my career. The other thing I will say about professional organizations, which I think is sometimes overlooked, is the role that they play in the organization of so many great conferences. DVGI specifically doesn't host a single conference. We tend to do these monthly meetings, but other GEO Institute chapters do host either, you know, one day or two day events just. Great avenues to learn about what's kind of state-of-the-art research or state of the practice. They're just a way to collaborate and to network and to learn new things. And that is so such a great part of being part of a professional organization and of what they do.
0: There's a lot to to consider there. And, and I can definitely say that, you know, becoming part of professional organizations was just take your engineering to the next level because you have a better understanding of what it is that you do, but what other people do as well. And it's a great way to build the pipeline of people coming into the field. Like you said, you didn't know what an engineer was growing up. And now think about all these lives that you're touching and people are now not just knowing what an engineer does, but they know what an engineer looks like and the types of things that they do and really does make a difference for the industry. So thank you so much.
1: Absolutely does. And then I mean, the last thing I'll say about that is generally these events are really fun. (laughs) Like, I mean, I've been, you know, golfing this year, previous years, I've gone out on river cruises, all sorts of just other social events that are just generally enjoyable. So there's really not really a downside.
0: There's no downside. Exactly. Yeah. I remember um, first going to conferences and things of that sort and changing business cards in your mind. You're like, why am I changing business cards with other geotechnical engineers, right? But then all of a sudden you get a shop drawing and now it's like, well, I know this person. I can just ask them the question. Right? <laughs> it really is important to expand that network. I think it's awesome. All right, great. Well, we're going to pause here and we're going to come back in just a minute to close this one out with Teresa and our career factor of safety end segment. Stick around. All right, welcome back. It's time for our Career Factor of Safety in segment. In geotechnical engineering, like many disciplines of engineering, it's important to incorporate a factor of safety into our design. But what about incorporating a factor of safety into our actual career? Today, of course, we're speaking with Dr. Teresa Laux. Teresa, with all that you've been involved with, one would wonder, how do you engage your team to be more successful? It's obvious that you have a good team. Tell us how do you manage this and how do you give yourself and your team a factor of safety against burnout?
1: The primary thing that we do and do well here at Arrow is we keep our communication channels very open. And this is super important always, but especially this year when a lot of us are working from home part of the time. Um, And we actually have sales managers that aren't based out of our office here in Philadelphia. So we're always communicating with them virtually. This could go back to just keeping everybody in the loop in, you know, say weekly or biweekly meetings. You know, it has to do with keeping good chatter going in our CRM software, keeping that instant message app open so that if somebody has a quick question, they can just fire it off texting when we're out at job sites to share kind of cool photos or interesting things that are happening. And, you know, when you're able to communicate well and frequently, I think that really just fosters a really good environment of teamwork and of people feeling that ownership in the success of of our company. If you have people around you that you know will support you, even if something happens or you just need that extra bit of help. If you know that, then I think that nobody gets to the point of burning out because they know that they have this kind of fallback plan of their coworkers and colleagues that are there to help in that event. So it really gives us a sense of, I think, security and a safety net, knowing that we do communicate with each other very well. Now we have three technical sales managers. I'm talking to them, if not on a daily basis, then then every other day, I would say. And so the idea that we can burn out from working too hard, that's definitely a real thing. But making sure that we have that sense of community and that sense of a team here, I think that really helps uh, to kind of stave off that feeling of burnout for us.
0: Communication is so, so important. And you're right, if you have more communication, you'll have better collaboration, better collaboration, you can trust one another. And it's like, I have too much on my plate. Help me out. I have to pass something. So that's awesome. Well, Dr. Laux, thank you so much for coming on. And thank you for sharing so many great insights with us. Our listeners are going to definitely appreciate it. If somebody wanted to reach out to you to get more information, what is the best way for them to find you? You're on social media or an email you feel comfortable sharing? Please let us know.
1: Reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm in there under Teresa Anerjack-Lauks, or you can go on the Aeroaggregates website. We have an About Us page um, that you can find my email.
0: Thank you so much. Appreciate your time.
1: Thank you, Jared.
0: I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to have your feedback, comments, and or questions. Please feel free to go to geotechnicalengineeringpodcast.com, where you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, that being episode 16, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Until next time, we wish you the very best in all your geotechnical engineering endeavors. Peace. The Geotechnical Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineers, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.